What is going on? Welcome. Glad that you're here. Glad you stopped by and kept this appointment. I don't know about you, but I love a good story. There was a Unitarian minister once upon a time in Waco, Texas, and he wrote a series of books, one of them I bet you've heard of. Its title is All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And the book implies that there's a few simple lessons in life that if we can master, uh, we'll be all right. Like, you know, stand in line, wait your turn, don't pull anyone's hair, don't pee your pants. And if you can learn those things by the time you get to second or third grade or grad school at least, then you're gonna be all right in life. You see, I've got a book that I'm gonna write one of these days, and it's gonna be all I needed to know I learned from people near the end of life. Because I've seen this. People get an incredible amount of clarity as they near the end of the journey. And in my work as a hospice chaplain, I become the beneficiary of all that wisdom, all that knowledge, all that life review, and I learn a lot of great things. I'm going to write a whole series of books, a volume of like 10. Just the other day, I heard this. I've been all about dreams lately. Uh, maybe the unconscious is trying to become conscious through our dream life. Maybe it's only a reflection of what we ate the night before. But uh, maybe there's some significant meaning there. And I was talking to a friend from Central America. And his country in Central America has uh, experienced a significant amount of deforestation. And the implications of that have been staggering. It's been a, a real challenge for them. And he had this dream. This is a guy that's getting toward the end of life. And he had this dream. He was standing on the edge of a river and the riverbed was drying up and he was standing with other people and one of the people who was standing by him was a 100 year old woman and suddenly a huge mass of ice fell from the sky and crushed this 100 year old woman and as he and other people were standing observing this the ice quickly melted and out of this huge chunk of ice came three aliens and everybody stood back they were so scared and the aliens said don't be afraid we're here to help you and the aliens grabbed them one by one and as they touched the aliens a surge of electricity came into them he said it wasn't like a shock that would uh, would leave you paralyzed or, or would hurt you it was an infusion of energy from these aliens and he said he felt so good, he felt better than he had ever felt in his life. And he was in that dream state between sleep and wake, and he began to awaken, and he was afraid to move because he feared that if he moved, that good feeling would be gone. And that's exactly what happened when he wiggled his toe. He realized that he was now awake, that he didn't have this infusion of energy. What does all this mean? I don't know. It means the guy's sick, and he felt better. It meant maybe a hint of the afterlife. Perhaps it had some ecological implications. I don't know. I mean, I'll leave the analysis to you. All of that to say, sort of a long, rambling introduction in order to say 
that stories are great. We love them because they connect with us. They communicate with us at a level of depth. I know that your family has narratives that define who you are as a people. Stories passed down from generation to generation. Stories connect with us at an emotional level that facts and figures bounce off of. Jesus knew that. He understood that. And so he spoke to the people in parables. In Matthew chapter 13 contains a collection like Jesus' greatest hits that Matthew put together in the third sermon discourse of Jesus in order to explain why people responded to Jesus the way that they do. I'll bet that's occurred to you, hasn't it? Why some people are all about Jesus. Why some people seem to get it. They embrace him and they live their lives for him. And other people seem absolutely unaffected by Jesus. Why is it? What's up with that? As Matthew's narrative unfolds in chapter 12, we see increasing controversy about the person of Jesus. So much so, in fact, that in chapter 12 and verse 14, it says the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Matthew chapter 12 records opposition to Jesus by the religious leaders. Chapter 13 Jesus' greatest hits, collection of parables, are inserted into the narrative by Matthew in order to explain why people respond to Jesus the way that they do. In other words, Jesus used these simple stories, some of them one-liners, some of them elaborate, some containing explanations, some leaving us to just sort of ponder and scratch our head because Jesus knew that a story had the potential to connect in a way that was really impactful. But the stories, the narratives, the parables of Jesus also contained the capacity to obscure the truth from those who weren't ready to receive it. So a story can have a different interpretation entirely by two different people, depending on what's going on inside of them. And that's what stories really reveal. They're mirrors, gateways into the soul, indicators of what's going on on the inside. Matthew 13, verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, now here's the introduction. Jesus has left the synagogue. The religious folks weren't ready to pay attention. So Jesus took his show on the road, went out into the marketplace, took the gospel to the streets and the message of the kingdom to the people. He sat on a boat, they stood around the beach and they listened to him and he told them parables. This is one of his most famous, the parable of the sower. He says, verse three, a sower went out to sow and he sowed, verse four, some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate them up. 
Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, but they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone who has ears listen. That's Jesus' recipe for invitation and engaging with the narrative. So it's sort of a straightforward story. It was familiar to the people who lived in an agrarian society. Everybody knew about sowing and reaping. Not so much anymore. But as my shirt implies, if you're not careful, you're going to end up in the sermon. So let me tell you about Pam Estrada. Pam's become a farmer. Did you know that? Pam's entire backyard used to be just succulents. Now it's everything under God's green earth, and she's growing all sorts of vegetables. So I told Pam that she's my disaster plan. For the zombie apocalypse, all I got to do is get to Pam's house, and I know there's going to be plenty of food, because she knows about sowing and reaping and tending and nurturing. It's a lesson that's lost on many of us. But Jesus' initial hearers knew all about this. It was a part of the cultural milieu that they were accustomed to. So he told the story like the the guy goes out and he's got a a bushel bag slung over his shoulder. And this is how they do it. Just grab a handful and throw it out. And some would land on this soil and some would land on that soil. And some would land in other places. It just kind of went out. And depending on where it landed, depended on the growth and, and the result, the impact. Now here we're fortunate. Because Jesus gives us a line-by-line interpretation of the narrative. He tells us exactly what the parable means. Beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 13, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the first example in the story is those who possess a limited capacity to comprehend the message of the kingdom. It's those folks that it just kind of bounces off of. The word comes and... uh, It doesn't even have a chance to take root. It's snatched away before it can get the opportunity. So some people have a limited comprehension and they're just not able to get it. Or maybe they're just not at the right place in life. You've seen this, right? You've experienced it with people. Perhaps you've been one of those persons who at some point in your life it just didn't make sense. It didn't come together. It was like mumbo jumbo to you. But at another point in life... The planets aligned and the lights came on and you understood and you embraced discipleship to Jesus. It's like that. So if it doesn't make sense right away to you or to someone within your sphere of influence, don't worry. Maybe it's just a matter of timing for them. 
But at any rate, it explains why some people don't embrace Jesus all at once. They just don't, at present, have the capacity. He goes on from there, verse 20, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when the trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. So if example number one was the person with a limited comprehension, example number two is those who lack the necessary depth. In other words, the quality of the soil is just not there presently. We live in a super shallow and superficial age. People are looking for instantaneous this, that, and the other. And the kingdom doesn't always work that way. It takes time. It takes nurture. It takes the right elements. It takes careful tending. And this is why we have to be so deliberate and so cautious with the people in our lives because they might be just a little seedling that needs a little support, a little water, a little light, a little shade, whatever it is, a little cultivation around the edges. We need to understand that depth is not something that happens overnight. Spiritual redwoods don't just spring up. There are no magic formulas. Uh, if you've been in the redwood forest, you know how awesome it is and how humbling to be in the presence of such greatness, such resilience that these trees have lasted the test of time. Well, the kingdom's like that. And it takes time. And it takes attention. And it takes deliberation. And some people just don't have the patience for it. Some just aren't cut out. Some are looking for an instant fix. And the gospel's not like that. And so it leaves them cold and they walk away. But again, maybe, maybe it's a matter of timing. Maybe the same thing a couple years down the road is going to make complete sense to them. That's why we never give up hope. The third example, two, one, two, three, the third example, beginning in verse 22, says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. So we have first those with a limited comprehension, secondly those uh, who lack the necessary depth, thirdly we see some who drown in competing interests. And this again is an absolute indictment of our times, that there are so many things in this life vying for our attention. And the message of the kingdom is not always the loudest. It's not always the sharpest. It's not always the most sophisticated. And so it leaves some people cold. They're chasing after this or they're chasing after that. They're looking for wealth. They're looking for success. They're looking for popularity. 
And as a result, the message of the kingdom doesn't take root. Or it takes root and it tries to grow, but it gets choked out. All of these metaphors that explain why there's not a good harvest. But then lastly, he says in verse 23, but as for he or the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty, here we have those who experience phenomenal growth as a consequence of their allegiance to the kingdom. So the parable of the sower can really be thought of as the parable of the soils because it's the same sower and it's the same seed. The thing that differs is the quality of the soil. So Jesus here through this story invites us to consider the condition of our soil. In other words, how are we receiving the message of the kingdom? Uh, maybe the birds are snatching away the seed that was sown. Maybe the seed is sprouting up quickly but withering away when the sun comes out. Maybe it's being choked out by weeds Maybe it's taking root. Maybe it's like Pam's garden. Maybe something really good is beginning to happen. And we're sending down roots into this complex web of stability and strength that gives us the capacity to weather any storm. What is the condition of our soil? Because the heart of the matter in Jesus' story here, is that it's a matter of the heart. It's what's going on inside of us. And the story is only held up as a mirror to help us see what's going on in the inside. So it's meant to make us reflect and think about what's going on in our lives. What's the quality of soil? How much care and attention are we giving? How much of a gardener are we in a spiritual sense? It's something that begs our attention. And it's something ultimately that in the greater scheme of Matthew's gospel explains why different people respond to Jesus differently. And it does the same for us. How come some people are so faithful and tried and true Year after year after year, how come some people just get up and go and they keep doing the deal? And how come other people are like a flash in the pan? They're here, they're excited, they're enthusiastic. And then it's like, wait, where did they go? What's going on? How about the things in life that distract us? Things that we're chasing after things that we're looking for that become direct competition with the message of the kingdom. God isn't always going to shout and scream and beg for your attention. In fact, one of the greatest spiritual lessons that we can learn is that sometimes God steps back 
just to see how we'll respond. The Christian life is like a dance. He steps back, we step forward, we step forward, he steps back. It's a give and take, it's a growth, and it's definitely something that fits the agricultural model. Something to think about. Take some time this week and stare at a tree. Stare at a plant. Make that a part of your meditation. Psalm number one is a meditation on a tree. The person, the psalmist says, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. The entire psalm is a meditation on nature, specifically looking at the growth of a tree. How's it like in your life? Take some time. Get outside. Get in front of a tree. Sit down. Stare at a house plant. Google tree on your phone. See what comes up. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace.